Does anybody have a testimony of that? And I pray that we do and that we know that truth so well. If you have your Bibles today, I'm going to invite you to open with me to the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. I know the front of your bulletins say Matthew 14, and the more I study, the more I realize that I wanted to kind of come from the book of Mark here, and I'll explain why in just a little bit. But Mark, the Gospel of Mark chapter 6, and welcome to week 9 of our miracle series where we are walking through the amazing, the deep, the comforting miracles of Jesus and I say amazing because these miracles should still amaze us. I say deep because every single one of these miracles have depth to them. They go a lot deeper than sometimes we even imagine. And I say comforting because these miracles are not just meant to blow our minds. They're also meant to comfort our hearts. And what we shared a few weeks ago, that in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, there are around 40 um, recorded miracles of Jesus where he displays his authority, he displays his power so that people would come to know that he was and that he is God. And our aim in this series, of course, is not to cover all 40 miracles um, because many of those miracles, they consist of the same type of miracles, meaning that Jesus heals more than just one leper. He heals more than just one lame. He um, gives sight to more than just one blind man. He casts out more than just one demon. He raises more than just um, one dead. So um, the goal is not to have a bunch of repeat messages um, of many of the same type of miracles, except for today. Um, today, that is the goal. Two weeks ago, we saw Jesus calming the storm. The disciples woke him up. He was asleep in the boat. He calmed the storm. We focused on Jesus leading the disciples into the storm. We focused on his authority over the storm, and we focused on fearing him more than we fear the storm. But this morning, what I want us to do is I want to bring us back to another nature-related and storm-related miracle. Yet I want to kind of go a different direction this morning, and I want us to behold a different kind of authority. And I want us to look at an authority, an authority that has the ability to cast out our fears. Even though the picture there is walking on water, the title of the message this morning is Power Over Fears. That's the kind of power our Savior has, the power over our fears. I think of the, the words of Pastor um, Paul Tripp who said, Fear can overwhelm your senses. It can distort your thinking. It can kidnap your desires. It can capture your meditation so that you spend more time worrying about what could be than considering the God who is. Fear can cause you to forget what you know and lose sight of who you are. Fear can make God look small and your circumstances loom large. Fear can make you seek from people what you will only get from the Lord. And fear can be the soil of your deepest questions and your biggest doubts. Now these are true in all of our lives. Fear has a way of being intensely manifested in the midst of storms, right? And this past week on Thursday, I was driving to Memorial Hospital to pick up our good friend Kenny, um, when as in the middle of driving on 95, the heavens opened up, the rains poured down, I mean poured down, and traffic stopped. I mean, it stopped. You couldn't see five feet in front of you. You couldn't see any lines on the road. Have, have you ever been there? You know, most of us have been there in, in a time, and here's what's true of all of us. When we can't see where we're going, when we can't see what's in front of us, 
Fear tends to grip us, right? Fear overwhelms us. When we can't see where we're going, when we don't know what's in front of us, fear tends to overwhelm us. And for every one of us in this room, life is stormy. We all know that. It is painful. There are hurts, wounds. Some of us suffer more than others, but all of us suffer. The great confidence, though, of the child of God is that we are never away from the authority, from the knowledge, from the protective care of our Savior. Never. We're never away from that. The storm is never so severe. The night is never too dark. The boat is never too full that he is not there. That is our confidence. And think about this. The disciples that we're going to look at even again today would they would go through a lot of storms in their lives. They would be placed in a lot of frail ships. Their confidence would be shaken often. And what they needed to know is they needed to know that they had a Savior who would walk on water to them, who would come to them even in the storm, who would make the storm his very path to them. And we need to know that our Savior is still walking above the storms of our lives, Walking towards us. Get this. We have a Savior who doesn't walk away from our need, but walks towards our need. That is the Savior that we have. He doesn't walk away. He doesn't look at us and say, you've made too much of a mess of this. I'm done. He doesn't walk away from the mess. He walks towards it. And we need faith to believe that. And here's what I know. Faith isn't natural for us. Do you know that? Faith isn't natural for us. Doubt is natural. Anxiety is natural. Fear is absolutely natural. Hoping storms never come into our lives is natural. Or when they come, hoping that they'll end immediately is natural. Trusting our own strength and our own wisdom during the storm is natural. Relying on our track record that of our past successes is natural. But faith isn't natural trusting him isn't natural peace in the storm isn't natural it's supernatural but the beautiful thing is he is supernatural he is the one who is able to give us peace and faith in the midst of all of those things do you believe that i pray that you do how, how is your heart this morning toward him just think about this if you had to pick one word to describe your heart this morning what would it be would it be hungry? Would it be desiring him? Would it be hurt, broken, hardened? What would be the word that would describe your heart? And what I want us to do now is I want us to turn to the word. The, the word tells us it desires to penetrate our hearts. It desires to be seed that takes root into our hearts and produces fruits. And let's look at this word and see how our Savior has authority over, authority over not just the storms, he has authority over our fears. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word together. We're going to look at Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 51. And when you get there, let me hear you say. Amen. So verse 45, immediately, and I love the gospel of Mark because he uses that word over and over again. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. 
And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, or pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And when he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and God, we pray that you would astound us today. Astound us today by your word. Lord, cast out our fears today by your love, by your presence, by all that we see in these few verses, Lord, that are still true today. Lord, just encourage the hearts of your people today in a way that only you can. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So just think about this. The disciples were out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And I don't know if you know this, but for first century Jews, the sea was not a place of comfort. The sea was not a place to be desired. They did not go to the sea on vacation. The sea was only about their vocation or they would get on the sea only when necessary. The people in this day were terrified of the sea. They did not see it as a place of relaxation. They, unlike us, would not stand before the Pacific Ocean and say, isn't that amazing? No, they would say, that will try to kill us. That wants us dead. The sea to them was, was death. And the disciples, as we know it, as we just read, are on the sea. The wind and the rain and the waves have kicked up and they are convinced again that they are in trouble. On a normal day, it would take four hours to row across the Sea of Galilee. Here, it was the fourth watch of the night, which means it was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. The disciples had set out on their voyage right after dinner. Many people believe that they have now been in the boat for eight and, or nine hours. Going at it for eight and nine hours and still they find themselves only in the middle of the lake. The storm that they're painfully trying to make headway in is a picture of the storm that's going on in their hearts and in their minds in that moment. Just think about this. Have you ever had a storm that just paralyzes you? Where you were just stuck in a certain place and you couldn't get out of it. Have you ever had a storm that just blows you completely off course? And maybe some of you in this room, maybe you're there right now. You had no intention of being where you are today. Whether it be in your job, in your marriage, in your family, your finances, or just life in general. You've been blown off course and by situations that you cannot control. And you feel like you should have already reached your destination where you intended to go. But at this point, you've just given up on even reaching the shore. Now you just want to survive. You just want to get there safely. You're not even worried about progress anymore. You just want to make it. And if that's you, if, if, if you have doubts, if you're wrestling, if you're in a season of, of anxiety, I just want to press you just a second and just say this. 
God knows. God knows. He is not surprised by our humanity. Let me say that again. He is not surprised by our humanity, even by our fears. Do you want to know why you experience the emotions that you experience? Look at me. Because you're human. That's why you experience the emotions that you experience. This is what humans do. And the good news for us is that Jesus met the disciples in their anxiety, in the midst of their fears, and he calmed them simply by reintroducing himself to them. So what I wanted us to do this morning and the remainder of the time that we have is I want us to unpack four truths that we must know in the midst of our fear, that we must know in the midst of our storms. First is this, in the midst of fear, know that Jesus is preeminent over you. So in the midst of fear, know that Jesus is preeminent. He is, has authority over you, over me. Let's again think about this. How in the world did the disciples get themselves into this mess? You know, were they disobedient? Were they just making unwise decisions? Were they just so full of themselves that they... Think they thought that they had more wisdom or more strength than they actually had? No, the answer is the disciples are in the mess that they're in because Jesus put them in this mess. Jesus sent them. In fact, it says that in verse 45. He made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. After an exhausting day of ministry for the disciples where Jesus fed the 5,000 through his hands and then distributed through their hands. Jesus did not lead his disciples into um, a place of rest beside quiet waters. It's not what he did. Instead, he, he let them row against battering waves throughout the night. And here's what we have to understand. The sovereign one sometimes intentionally sends us, even when we're already weary, to struggle to struggle against adversity, to struggle with disorienting darkness. Sometimes Jesus, even when we're tired, will send us into a place, into a storm, into a difficulty. This is what we see here. Jesus sent his disciples into a storm. Have you ever heard the line um, that the safest place to be is inside the will of God? You ever heard that? I mean, we believe that. That's true in a sense. Right? In a sense, it's true. But sometimes we confuse that meaning as long as we're in the will of God, we'll never suffer. We'll never have difficulties. Our bodies will never be harmed. That's not the truth. That's not what we see in the gospel. The gospel isn't come to Jesus, walk in his will, and you'll walk through a rose garden or sunflowers for the rest of your life. Now here they obeyed the direct command of Jesus and they ended up in a storm as a result. And what we need to understand is this. When storms roll in, don't just necessarily assume that you're out of the will of God. Certain storms are part of God's will for us. Because God is not just doing something for us in the storms. God is doing something in us. God is doing something in us that he is trying to do. I think of John 6. In John 6, we are told of this story, that when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got in a boat, and started across the sea. And then it says this, and now it was dark. It was dark. So here is a picture of the disciples in the dark, 
in a storm without Jesus. And then remember what, where we were a few weeks ago. The last time the disciples got into a storm like this, Jesus was in the boat, he was asleep, and all they had to do was wake him up. They woke him up and he calmed the storm. But this time, he's not there. He's not with them. To make it even worse, he can't get there because they took the only boat. There's no other boats, so they are out of luck. And what's amazing to me is that it says when they hit the storm, get this, when they hit the storm, it was contrary to them. So it was battering against them. And here's what I think about. A normal person would have said, if we're trying to go this way, the wind's going this way, it's not letting us cross, then let's just turn the boat this way and go back to where we started. Right? That's a sensical thing to do. That just makes sense. Let's just go back there. It's a lot easier to go back there. But not these disciples. No. Why in the world would they be so irresponsible and so stupid to keep rowing even though they're not going anywhere? And here's the answer. Because Jesus told them, you go there. And that's where they were going. Think about this. They were going where Jesus told them to go even when it didn't make sense. They fought and fought even when they weren't making progress. They continued in the path of obedience. Hear me, Christian. Hear me, those sitting in this room that gave up on what God called you to do because it got tough. Hear me. Jesus, the preeminent one, told them, you go there. And they said, we don't care what storms come, what difficulty comes. We're going there. We're going there. Brothers and sisters, here's what we need to get to a place where we come back and we repent of God for where we set to do what he calls to do. Times got tough. It got hard. And we said, well, enough of that. Either he's preeminent or he's not. And here's the, here's the, the reality. In the midst of our fear, we must know that he is preeminent over us. He's preeminent over us. Then secondly, in the midst of fear, know that Jesus is, I love this, he is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. He's not just preeminent over you. Jesus is praying over you. Now, how do you feel when someone tells you, I'm going to be praying for you? I would, I would say the way we feel probably is um, kind of reflecting on two different things. Number one, who they are, whether we believe that God's going to answer their prayer, Right? And two, what they're going to be praying for. So if somebody comes up that's the biggest heathen in the world that says, I'm going to be praying for you, we're like, good luck with that. Um, but you know, oftentimes, and what are they going to be praying for? So those are things that we kind of worry about. Will God answer them? But here's what we're told in Mark 6, 46. After he had taken leave of the crowd, Jesus went up to the mountain, it says, to pray. I can just imagine the scene. The disciples are being tossed by the sea. And yet on the mountaintop, Jesus is there praying. While his own are in a boat being beaten and being battered, being tortured and being tossed, Jesus is quietly and calmly praying for them. They don't know it, but they are completely secure. They don't know it, but they are completely secure. Why? Because Jesus is praying for them. And here's good news, brothers and sisters. Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for us. Hebrews 7.25, it says this. 
He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus lives to pray for us. In that moment of difficulty, Jesus was praying for his disciples. And in every moment, Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for us. Robert Murray McShane, a 19th century Scottish minister, said this. If I could hear Jesus praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. How true is that? If I could just hear Jesus praying for me, it would make all the difference. We don't have to hear him. He is praying. He is praying for us. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, know this. Jesus is praying for you. And here's the beautiful thing of the Gospels. In John 11, guess what Jesus said? Father, you always hear my prayers. You always hear and answer my prayers. So that's good news for us. Jesus is praying for us, and his prayers are always answered. Because he's praying always um, according to the will of God. So in the midst of fear, know that Jesus is preeminent over you know that he is praying for you number three in the midst of fear know that jesus is present with you jesus is present with you we're told in verses 47 through verse 50 and when evening came the boat was out on the sea they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them and about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea but when they saw him walking on the sea they were terrified let me just say this again. Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And you, you just proved my point. We really don't get that. We're way too indifferent to that. Have you ever done that? I mean, here's the thing. We act like that's nothing. You go try that. Let me take you in a boat in the middle of the Atlantic and you, you try it. And, and you say, have at it. Here's the problem. It grieves me. It grieves me when I read passages like this and I walk away unimpressed. It grieves me that we are often so desensitized to the power of Jesus that it no longer impacts us the way that it should. It grieves me. It grieves me that we, we hear these stories and all we do is just assent to them here. That's all we do. But we don't believe it here. How do I know that? Because when the storm comes, we're not looking for Jesus to come to us. We're not looking for him to be there. And here's the beautiful thing. The minute Jesus begins to walk on the sea, we know what he has in mind. Because if all he wants to do is just storm, uh, uh, calm the storm or relieve the difficulty, he could have done that from the shore, right? He could have just walked to the shore and said, stop, and everything stops. And then gets the, he somehow screams at the um, Disciples, keep going, don't stop, make it to the other side. But that's not what he had in mind. I also love the fact that Jesus doesn't just stand on the shore and give directions. Because here's what I know. When we are walking through the storm, the last thing we need is more advice. Right? But there's always people there to give us advice. But the last thing we need when we're walking through storms is for someone to give us another piece of advice. No, what we need is a miracle. It's what we need. We need someone to show up, and this is what Jesus did. 
He intervened in the disciples' storm. And this is the gospel. Don't miss this, that God doesn't stand on the shoreline telling us what to do. No, the gospel is that Jesus comes out and meets us in our pain, in our fear, in our depression, in our storm, in our discouragement. He comes to us. What a God. What a God. The Lord Almighty is now walking across the angry sea. And think about this. Why is he doing that? Why is he walking across the sea? And here's the answer. He's not after the difficulty. That's not what he's after. He's after those who are his that are in the middle of the difficulty. Understand that. Jesus is walking on the sea not because he's trying to get the sea. He's trying to get to his own. His own matters to him. Don't miss it. That's what he's after. Jesus is after his own. So not only did he come in the storm, he came on the storm. He uses their very trials as his footstool. Their storm was his staircase to come to them. And most of us, we know the parallel story in Matthew 14 where Peter says, if it's you, Lord, can I get out of the boat? And Jesus says, come. And of course, um, Peter has faith in Jesus' command to come. He gets out and begins to walk on water, and then he takes his eyes off Jesus. He begins to sink. But here is the point of that. The whole point of this story is not to teach us that we can walk on water. The whole point of this story is to teach us who can't walk on water that God can. That's the point of the story. God can do it. This is who he is. Several Old Testament um, texts picture God as the one who walks in the sea. Job 9.8, God trampled the waves of the sea. Job 38.16, have you walked in the recesses of the deep? It's a pretty good question for us. Isaiah 43.16, it is God who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. Psalm 77.19, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Just think about this. This is God. This is who he is. Yet, the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. They thought it was a ghost. And they cried out in terror. And think about this question. Why did the disciples not recognize Jesus? And we could give so many different answers. We could say, well, the storm must have um, blocked their vision, all these different things. But here's the answer. They didn't recognize Jesus because they weren't looking for him. They weren't looking for him. They weren't looking for him. They didn't believe that he could, or if he could, maybe they didn't believe he would. And we will never know Jesus as deeply as we should until we come, or until he comes to us in the midst of our storm and we see him because we're looking for him. Before we move on, look at verse 48 real quick. I want you to see this. In verse 48, it says this, which is crazy. The very end of verse 48, it says, He meant to pass them by. What an incredibly odd statement that is. The disciples are struggling for their lives. Jesus is walking on the water. And it seems like here, Jesus is about to walk by the boat and say, Hey guys, I'll see you on the other side. Keep doing what you're doing, guys. I'll see you over there. He was going to walk right by them. That's kind of odd for us. But here's the point. To get help, they had to call out. And in fact, the Bible says they cried out. 
And here's a quick lesson for us. Don't miss this. Never overlook human initiative in gaining the help of God as you struggle. Never overlook human initiative in gaining the help of God, meaning God is here to help us. Are you asking him? He's here to help. We have to ask. What does the Bible say? We have not. Why? We ask not. The reason we don't have. God is here to help us. Brothers and sisters, the reason maybe he's not helping is we're not asking. Or if we're asking, we're not asking in his will. We're asking in ours. Start asking in his will. And I love this. The disciples don't even cry out in faith. They cry out in fear, which is bad faith. Yet Jesus answers them. You know what this shows us? That Jesus is a compassionate Savior who responds to us even when we don't call to him the way that we should. Jesus comes to his own and he carries them through. Hear this again, brothers and sisters. You and I, we are not promised a life of ease. We're not promised a life of ease. But here's what we are promised, a life of presence. Do you hear me? We're not promised a life of ease, but we are promised a life of presence. Some of us right now or through our lives, we wrestle with authority. What I mean by that is this. We come to the altar and say, God, this is yours. This is yours, God. And then we grab it while we walk back to our seats and say, "Okay." we take it back again. And then we bring it to God and then we take it back again. And then we bring it to God and then we take it right back again. All the while missing his presence. He is here. In the midst of fear, know that Jesus is preeminent over you. He is praying for you. He is present with you. And then lastly, in the midst of fear, know that Jesus is peace around you. He is peace around you. Look at verses 50 and 51. It says, he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. The first thing I want us to see is that in coming to his disciples and speaking to them, Jesus actually takes on one of the names for God. It's hard because it's a hard translation in English. But Jesus says, take heart, it is I, which really means, don't you understand? I am. I am is here. It's what he's saying. Take heart, it is I. Jesus is saying, don't you get it? I am is here. The disciples are terrified and they are anxious. And I think that's good news for us because there are times in my life where I get terrified and I get anxious. Anybody else? I mean, we get terrified. We get anxious. We get in places where I get, I don't know about you, but I get completely discombobulated at times. Where... Down feels like up, and up feels like down, and left feels like right, and everything is closing in. And this is where the disciples were, and here's the beautiful thing. Jesus isn't raging against them. He's not raging against their default position of fear or disillusionment. All he does is just remind them who he is. That's all. It's me. The I am is here. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is now um, in your presence. Your storm right now is being invaded by the I am. That's what we see. And before we get to the stilling of the storm, let me just say this. Again, most of us know the story of, uh, as told in the Gospel of Matthew. 
Same miracles recorded. The only difference is that Matthew records that Peter gets out and walks on water. Now, Mark's account doesn't mention that part about Peter walking on water, only that Jesus comes to them in the storm and stills the waves. And here's why that's interesting. Here's why that even matters. Mark, John Mark, was Peter's traveling companion. And scholars tell us that Mark wrote his gospel using the notes and stories of Peter. Meaning, think about this, the gospel of Mark is really the gospel of Peter. He got his notes, he got the stories from Peter. Peter said, here Mark, here are my sermon notes, just use them and put your name at the top of it. And that is yours. And here's the, the reality. So think about this. Mark, getting his information from Peter, doesn't even mention that Peter walked on water. Why? Now, at first, we might say, well, maybe Peter doesn't share it because Peter doesn't want us to know that his faith was wavering. But that doesn't seem like Peter, right? I mean, Peter's always, his faith was always wavering. And praise God that it was because it gives us hope. And did, did Peter not want us to know that his faith crumbled in the storm? I think it's a different reason. Here's what I believe. I believe that Peter doesn't want us to focus on him at all. That's why Peter doesn't include it in his sermon notes. Because this story isn't about Peter's faith. This story is about the Savior's faithfulness. Hear it again. It's not about Peter's faith. It's about the Savior's faithfulness. And in his faithfulness, he gets into the boat and the storm stops. Jesus brought peace into their chaos. And it makes sense because in Ephesians 2, 13 and 14, it says, In Christ Jesus, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And listen to this. For he himself is our peace. So many things in this life threaten to disrupt our peace. Relationships and finances and health. But you know this? Relationships aren't our peace. Finances aren't our peace. Health is not our peace. He is. Scripture says Jesus is our peace. He has made peace for us. He brings peace within us. And here's what I want you to see. Look at verse 56. We didn't read this, but I want you to see this. Eventually the, the ship landed safely at shore, and Jesus goes to this area and he heals. And look at verse 56. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. And I often wonder, and please finish with me here, if these people, the ones that are coming to Jesus for healing, the ones that Jesus heals, did they know that Jesus came through a storm? Did they know that Jesus walked on the water in order to get to them? Did they know that he did all of that in order to meet their needs? Did they know what he endured for their own sake? And let me ask you this question. Do we? Jesus endured the storm of judgment that we deserved in order to meet our deepest need, which is peace with God. That truth, brothers and sisters, should cast out all fears. 
If we can trust Jesus to save our souls, then guess what? We can trust him for tomorrow. That should have gotten an amen from a saved crowd somewhere. Um, I'll eventually find one. But here's the reality. If you can trust Jesus to save your soul, you can trust him for tomorrow. And you can trust him for next week, for next month, for next year. You, if you can trust him for all of eternity, stop ask, acting like we can't trust him for tomorrow. Stop acting like that. Brothers and sisters, if we can trust him for the greater miracle, which is to save our sinful souls, then we can trust him for the lesser. Oh, how we can trust him. Let me show you one more verse. I'm going to show you one more scripture, which I pray to bring all of this to life. 1 John 4.18 says this, There is no... No fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Amen. Why should we not fear? Because he is perfect love and he is casting it out. Perfect love casts out fear. Are you going through a storm in your life at this moment? Again, it's easy to think that storms only mean that we're outside of God's will. Like Jonah. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen because that absolutely happens. In fact, as we said a couple weeks ago, the first question we need to ask when we're going into a storm is, did I bring this upon myself? For God is often blamed for many of the things that we bring upon ourselves. That's a great question for us to ask. Did I bring this upon myself? Yet we also know these disciples were doing exactly what Jesus called them to do. And yet they still found themselves in the midst of a storm alone afraid if you're going through a storm in this moment take comfort in knowing that your savior will come to you and he will fulfill his intended destination for you meaning you might not get where you want to go but you will get where he wants you to go he will take you exactly where he wants you to go. In fact, think of it like this. Jesus did not come to lead us around difficulty. He came to lead us through difficulty. Let him lead you through that difficulty. Don't look for the exit sign. Look for him and let him lead you through it. Here's the beautiful thing. Brothers and sisters, he has come. The great I am is with us. And his perfect love is able to cast out all of our fears. Let him do what only he can do. We're going to go ahead and ask you to stand. We're going to call musicians forward as we enter into a time of invitation and consecration where we say whatever it is that God is speaking to you in this moment, we believe he's speaking because his word is being proclaimed. Whatever it is that he's saying, may we obey it. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we even thank you for the storms because your word tells us to give thanks in all circumstances. The storms might not be anything that we want, God, but Lord, you're doing something in us and ultimately through us for the sake of that storm. So help us to trust you, God, in the midst of it. Help us to know that you are preeminent, God. You have power over the storm. That You're praying for us. Oh, God, you're praying for us in the storm. You're present with us. You will not leave us or forsake us. And you will give us your perfect peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. For your plan is not just to take us around the storm, but to take us through it. So do that, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.